Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Greet one another in the chat. Great to be here this Sabbath and what a beautiful day it is here, I should say, in Oregon. Bless one another wherever you are all over the world and we are going to jump right into Isaiah chapter 30 and the corresponding text as we've um, spoken about is right over here. I've got my scriptures right here. And it is in 2 Kings chapter 18 through 21. And you can kind of um, check that out a little bit later, or maybe you've read ahead. And that also is a corresponding text to this week's portion. So we're going to jump right in. And um, as I say, greet one another in the chat and give us a thumbs up. I'm here looking at the chat. And um, tell me if we've got good sound and good audio and if you've getting a strong enough stream. So I will wait to see if I can get a reply in the chat. Good audio and the stream is strong. Okay, let's hope that we got good bandwidth. As you can see, I'm on location today and I'm not in studio. So hopefully we have enough bandwidth and uh, hey, yeah, give us some thumbs up. Give us some thumbs up. Description below. Thank you, everybody that does support the ministry, Torah to the Tribes, through your tithes and your offerings and your giving. Your prayers, your letters of encouragement truly mean the world. So thank you so much. Subscribe to the ministry channel. And like I say, you can always go over there to Odyssey. And we are now backing everything up on Odyssey. So let's delve into the text. And we're in Isaiah, Yeshayahu, chapter 37. And what we're going to look at and see today is this convergence of vulnerability and strength. How many times do you feel that in your life? Sometimes you're feeling super strong and then you feel this vulnerability. And it's this battle, this wrestling that we find between fear and faith, fear and faith. This is the essence of chapter 37, 37, a convergence of vulnerability and strength, fear and faith. Because Isaiah's words we're going to find in this chapter specifically, they're a guide to us, a guide to us. We are to seek comfort from Yahuwah, seek comfort in the divine sanctuary. How do we access the divine sanctuary? Prayer and worship. And even when we face our fierce, fiercest enemies, our fiercest enemies will in fact be overshadowed by the sovereignty of Yahuwah. So it came to pass when Melech Hezekiah heard it that he rent his garments and he covered himself with sackcloth and he went into the Bayit, the house of Yahuwah. And he sent Elohim, who was over his household, and Shevna the Sofer, the scribe, and the Zechanim, the elders of the Kohanim priests, they covered with sackcloth. And to Yeshayahu Chanavi, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amots, Verse 3, and they said to him, this says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of scorn. For the children have come 
to the birth and there is no strength for them to bring forth. And it may be Yahweh your Elohim will hear the words of the Rab Shakar. Oh my goodness, maybe he won't listen to our prayers. Maybe he's going to listen to the words of the enemy. This is what, in essence, their struggle between their faith and fear. Look at verse 4. Whom the Melech, the king of Ashur, Assyria, his masters, has sent to reproach the living Elohim and will reprove the words which Yahweh, your Elohim, has heard. Therefore, lift up your tefillah, your prayers, for the remnant. Lift up your prayers for the remnant because it's the remnant who is left. So, verse 5, the Avadim, the servants of the Melech, King Hezekiah, they came to Yeshayahu, Isaiah. So, Hezekiah, he finds himself in a sea of crisis. Yet, Isaiah's words, they are bringing forth hope because there is a divine assurance. So that in the midst of adversity, King Hezekiah, he's draped in sackcloth and he seeks refuge in the house of Yahuwah. See, the threat from the Assyrian king, Senchrabib, it casts this dark, depressing shadow over Jerusalem. It's demonic. And Isaiah's prophecy captures the fear and the anguish felt by the people because of the demonic oppression and the peril in which they're facing. So the context, like we spoke a little bit last week, of the Rabshakar's psychological warfare in last week's teaching, it still resonates very much in this week's teaching. You see, King Hezekiah in his humility, now acknowledges the magnitude of the threat. But instead of fear, he actually now turns to the divine sanctuary because that's where he's going to seek his protection. So there's a lot here for us to pull out about worship, prayer, overcoming fear, overcoming oppression, overcoming doubt, not listening to what people say, but listening to our prayers, our worship, and entering into the divine presence so that we will prevail. Look at the translation of Sen Chaviv. It's very telling, Sen Chaviv, because what it means is what? Sin multiplied brothers. That really is the breakdown of the words, the letters, I should say, of Sen Chaviv. Sin multiplied brothers. And it's really a nod to the expansionist or globalist agenda, if you will, contrasted with the essence of Hezekiah's name, which is Yah strengthens. Yah strengthens. Sen Chaviv, sin multiplied brothers. Let's break it down. You've got the shin, which is a prefix indicating the word sin or tooth, tooth. And then you have the noon, which is multiplicity, increase. And then you have the chet, which is associated with the word ach or aki as in brother, my brother. And then you have resh, which is the head, 
the head of, the chief. And then you have the yod, but we're going to read it in the possessive form of my or of. And then you have bet, house. You see how it, it really breaks down into sin multiplied brothers. That's the very translation of sen chaviv. And there's a supernatural struggle that's going on here. It's a struggle between the aggressor's might and the divine fortification found in Yah alone. I mean, we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about psychology, the renewing of the mind, overcoming doubt, overcoming fear, overcoming oppression, darkness. So does this text... Is it, does it pertain to the days in which we live? I suggest it pertains to every single generation and everyone's struggle. Because in the face of geopolitical storms, in the face of societal upheavals, in the face of your own personal tribulations, your own personal struggles, of which we all have, there is a sanctuary. And it's a sanctuary of divine assurance. And that, brethren, is our refuge. Look at verse 6. And Yeshayahu, Isaiah, said to them, This shall you say to your master. This, says Yahuwah, be not afraid of the words that you have heard, by which the Avadim, the servants of the Melech of Ashur, the king of Assyria, have blasphemed fiend me. Verse 7. See, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword of his own land. You see, we have to believe in the supernatural. Things do not necessarily, you've got to be careful of how things may appear and it can be overwhelming, but there's always a way out with Yahuwah. And it is oftentimes supernatural. Because look at verse 8. So the Rabshakar returned and found the Melech, the king of Ashur, fighting against Livna. For he had heard that he had departed from Lachish. And he heard it saying concerning Tirachath, Melech, king of Ethiopia, he has come forth to make more war with you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, This shall you say to Hezekiah, Melech of Yehuda, king of Judah, saying, Let not your Elohim, in whom you trust, deceive you. See, now, He's totally playing the reversal on psychology on them. He's saying, you shouldn't even be trusting in Elohim. Oh, this isn't going to come to pass. You guys are, you're crazy believing in Elohim. We live in a secular world. Oh, no, the secular world is true. This is really what's happening here. But look what we see. There's a breakthrough. There's a breakthrough. Verse 11. See, you have heard what the Melech of Ashur the king of Assyria, had done to all the lands by destroying them utterly. And you think you shall be delivered? Have the Elohim of the nations delivered them that my Avot fathers have destroyed? 
like Gozan and Haran and Rezpeh and the children of Eden who are in Telassar? Where is the Melech of Hamath? Where is the Melech of Afrad? Where is the Melech of the city of Sepharim, Hina and Ifna? Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hands of the messengers and read it. So now Hezekiah, he received some propaganda and he's supposed to believe it. It's supposed to bring in great doubt, fear, and to cause him to have a crisis of faith. And he reads it and Hezekiah, what does he do? He turns to Yahuwah. He goes right up to the house of Yahuwah and he spreads it out before Yahuwah. If you get some bad news, if you get some fear, if you get some oppression, then what you and I are supposed to do is take it to the house of Yahuwah and spread it out before him. Maybe you got some bad news about your health. Maybe you got some bad news, some medical report, some financial report, some business report, some letter or rumor here or there. Take it before the house of Yahuwah and spread it out and then see the miracles happen. Because what they're conveying in that letter does not come to pass. A miracle pierces through the mud and the miry clay. Look, Hezekiah in verse 14, he received the letter from the hands of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of Yahweh and he spread it before Yahweh. And Hezekiah made prayers before Yahweh, tefillah. And he said, O Yahweh Sevot, Elohim of Israel, you who live between the Cherovim, you who live between the cherubim on the mercy seat, you are the Elohim, even you alone. He is speaking to the tablets in heaven. He is speaking. He is accessing the very throne room of heaven. And he is invoking Yahuwah. You who live between the cherovim, you are the Elohim, even you alone of all the malchutim, the kingdoms of the earth. You alone have made the shamayim, the heavens and the earth. Incline your ear, O Yahuwah, and hear, open your eyes, O Yahweh, and see and listen to all the words of Zenchaviv, who has been sent to reproach the living Elohim. Listen to his blasphemy. Listen to what these heathens say about you. Listen to how they're coming against me. I'm paraphrasing, but you can see the essence of his prayer. And look at verse 18. Of an emet, of a truth, Yahuwah, the Melech of Ashur, the king of Assyria, he has laid waste of all the nations and their countries and has cast their Elohim into the fire, for they were not Elohim, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Elohim, Yahuwah, our Elohim, Save us from his hand that all the Malchutim, the kingdoms of the earth, may know that you are Yahuwah, even you alone. So now we've come to this pivotal moment 
where crisis converges with divine intervention. I mean, this is like my life. This is like your life. How many times do we come to pivotal moments in our life where there's crisis, but then it converges with what? Divine intervention when we finally buckle and come to our knees and we lift up our hands in worship. You see, Hezekiah, he receives a letter from Senchaviv. It's full of threats. It's full of blasphemy. But we're reminded of Shemot, Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. You shall not raise a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Oh, this could happen to you, and then this could happen. And then guess what? If Then if you don't do this, then this could happen. Don't believe a false report. It's all fiction. Nobody knows the future but Yahuwah Elohim. Oh, well, this is going to happen to you. And if you don't do this, this will happen. But so you really, how many times have we heard these reports? This is psychological warfare. This is spiritual abuse. He's being abused by Senchavib, but he turns to Yahuwah, not the false report. This world is full of false reports, brethren. False reports, rumors of wars, terrible things are going to happen, allegedly. But we don't put our trust in kings. We don't put our trusts in threats from the world. We turn to Yahuwah. Remember, sen chaviv means sin multiplied brothers. It really emphasizes an, an insatiable, an insatiable nature that tyranny has. Tyranny never gives up. Tyranny, it's never enough. They will always want more and they will never be satisfied. Insatiable nature, sin multiplied brothers. But Hezekiah's act of bringing the letter into the house of Yahuwah signifies what? It signifies this is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare, where Yahuwah's plan is bigger than any human problem. The Assyrian king's name, when we deconstruct it, it reveals the instability and chaos of his ambitions. What he's trying to do is he's trying to move Hezekiah off of his square. How? Fear. Chaos propaganda. Oh, this could happen. That could happen. Oh, all this fear. Translating Senchaviv, there's a massive contrast with the name of Hezekiah, meaning Yah strengthens. Look at the dichotomy. Look at the dichotomy between the aggressor's arrogance and the, mola, the monarch's, excuse me, the monarch's resilience, right? He's looking, Hezekiah, he's resilient. He's relying on divine strength. And that is what becomes apparent throughout the text. So far, this chapter to me is no matter what comes up at you, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, Yahweh is greater than your circumstances. 
You seek divine counsel, even when you're in the face of threats, even when you're in the face of trials. It's really a powerful reminder that even in the face of adversity, brethren, the sanctuary of Yahuwah, there is where we will provide and there is where we will find Yah's provision. There is where we'll get our deep inner spiritual strength to revive us from our day of calamity. So Isaiah 37, it's not just a historical account, but it is a lesson. It's a lesson on how to triumph over despair. It's a lesson on how to inspire us to emulate Hezekiah's unwavering faith in the face of life's constant challenges. Verse 27, actually verse 21. Then Yeshayahu, the son of Amotz, sent to Hezekiah saying, this says Yahuwah Elohim of Israel, because you've been faithful, you hit your knees, you hit the word, you've gone to the mattresses to use, you know, a television quote, which many of you that have watched The Godfather would know. He's gone to his knees. Because if you have gone to your knees, you have made tefillah, prayer to me against Senhraviv, Melech of Eshur. This is the word that Yahuwah has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you and laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Yerushalayim has shaken her head at you. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you exalted your voice and lifted up even your eyes on high? Even against the Kadosh One, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 24. By your Avadim, your servants, have you reproached Yahuwah and have said, By the multitude of my Merkavot chariots, I am come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and I will cut down the tall cedar of it and the choice cypress etzim trees of it. And I will enter into the height of its border and the forest of its fruitful field. I have dug and drunk maim water, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. You see, there's all this threat. Well, look what the Assyrians have done. They've laid waste to all of these cities. They have, they have a history of victory. Oh my goodness, we're going to lose. Oh, look, everything is dark and gloomy and depressive. We have no hope. Oh, there's no point turning to prayer. There's no point worshipping. There's no point opening your Bible. Oh, that's archaic. We live in a secular world. Look, the kings of the earth. Look, no. Divine intervention is there for you and I, just as it was there for Hezekiah. Divine intervention is always present for the saints, even amidst fear and earthly turmoil. That's the lesson of this week's chapter. Hezekiah's prayer, it's a plea for divine intervention in the face of Senhavi's blasphemous threats. Look at the contrast 
the Assyrian and his boastful words, this hints at the perils of human pride. While Hezekiah, his divine plea reveals the virtue of surrender. Surrendering to divine providence. There is nothing like in the face of trial, just acceptance and surrender to divine providence. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of your darkest trials. Now, there's a phrase, kesei chesed, kesei chesed, the throne of grace. And there is where Hezekiah's prayers land, between the cherovim, the kesei chesed. And it's a powerful expression signifying not just a seat of mercy, but a sovereign realm where divine favor reigns. Think about it. That's where you place your prayers. Not in this worldly realm, but another worldly realm, a sovereign realm where divine favor reigns. That should give you comfort. It certainly gives me comfort. Now, there's another Hebrew word, savot, savot. The Hebrew word savot, rendered as Lord of hosts, Yahuwah savot, it actually reveals a celestial commander leading the armies of heaven. And what happens? Those armies of heaven decimate 185,000 enemies. Miraculously. The armies of heaven intercede and they decimate 185,000 Assyrians. This is the celestial commander of heaven leading the very armies of heaven to the clarion call of Hezekiah's prayer that landed in a sovereign realm where divine favor reigns. This is the petition of prayer, brethren. This is awesome. It, it transcends a mere title, Savot. It captures the all-powerful plan of Yahuwah that steps in to help you and steps in to help me in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the depths of despair, in the midst of challenging, challenging times, that we still find ourselves living in, that your seed and their descendants will find themselves living in. But Isaiah chapter 37 resonates as a passage of hope. Hezekiah's plea is met with a divine response. And that divine response teaches you and I that even in our darkest hours, the divine throne is a sanctuary where grace and mercy converge. I mean, think about that. We're breaking through this world's parameters here in this passage. Because this chapter, if you had the ears to hear and the eyes to see, it inspires not just for me personally, but a collective us, a collective acknowledgement that we are the heirs to Hezekiah's legacy. We are the heirs to Hezekiah's prayers. Why? Because we're the remnant. Think about that. Even if your prayers feel weak, 
You're the heir to Hezekiah's prayer because you're the remnant and he's already prayed for you. Our prayers will resonate into the heavenly throne room, the celestial chambers. And when they do, they invite divine intervention. Look at verse 26. Have you not heard long ago? Don't forget. Now we're going to give you a reality check, not the propaganda. We're going to go to history. Let me show you what I've done, says Yahweh. Have you not heard long ago how I have done it? And from ancient times that I have formed it? Now, have I brought it to pass that you should be allowed to lay waste defended cities into ruinous heaps? Therefore, their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and embarrassed. They were as the grass of the field and as the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and as the grain blasted before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down and I know you're going out and you're coming in and I know your rage against me. Because of your rage against me and your pride has come up into my hearing, into my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. Just go outside today and ask yourself, just by visually looking at the culture, who are the gods that they serve? They have hooks in their lips. They have hooks in their nose. What does that show you? They have been given over to the kings of this earth. I mean, that hook that people wear through their nose, I mean, that's Babylonian slavery. The hooks that people have in their lips, this shows you how lost our culture is and how hopeless they are. But we are not of that culture. We're of an ancient culture, a time before time where prayers have been petitioned and sit there resting between the cherovim, waiting for us to bring down into our reality. Hezekiah's prayers are there waiting for you to access because he prayed for you and I, the remnant. Look at verse 30. And this shall come and be an oat. It's a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows by itself. And the second year, that which springs of the same. <clears throat> and the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit of it. And the remnant that is escaped from Bet Yehuda, the house of Judah, shall again Take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Yerushalayim shall go forth a remnant. That's you and I. And they that escape out of Had Zion, the zeal of Yahweh Sevot shall do this. I mean, I'm zealous. You're zealous. But it's not our zeal. It's his zeal for his remnant that shall do this. Therefore, this says Yahweh concerning the Melech of Ashur, the king of Assyria. 
He shall not come into this city. He will not have victory over you. He will not. None of it will come to pass. His letters, his propaganda, all of his big ideas of what he thought he could do. None of it will come to pass. It's a fiction. It's all from Satan. It's magnification and imagery. Oh, this could happen to you. Oh, my goodness. And if you don't do this, then this could happen. And then guess what? Then that... I'm not listening to that. No, I'm going to stand on my square and I shall not be moved. That is what Hezekiah did. We are the kings, a malchut, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a Malkitzedic priesthood. We stand and then we stand. And then if we don't stand, it's because we're on our knees praying to stand. Look at verse 33. Therefore, this says Yahweh concerning the Melech of Ashur. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with, its, with his shields, nor shall he build up a siege mound against it. None of that's going to come to pass. But I tell you, what's going to come to pass is a miracle. 185,000 decimated in a night by the Derek, by the way that he came, he's going to scuttle away by the same road. Shall he return? They send it to you, return it by the road. It came, they bring it on you, send it back, stand. And if you're not standing, it's because you're on your knees petitioning for, I will defend this city. He'll defend your family. He'll defend your household. He will defend your generations. He'll defend your health. He'll defend your wealth. He'll defend your mind. He'll defend you because of the prayers of the saints that go before you that sit between the cherovim and you call down that heavenly sanctuary. Remember, it's a chamber of resonating prayers just being called down from that divine sanctuary. I will defend this city, verse 35, to save it for my own sake and for my ever David's sake. Then the heavenly Malak of Yahweh went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians, 185,000. And when they arose early in the morning, see, they were all dead corpses. Tomorrow is a new day. And his mercy is new each morning. His, it, it, it seems dark at night. It seems oppressive of it at night. Oppressive. Oh, there's no hope. Oh, this could. I mean, I've gone through this. I'm going through this. This is my life. And I believe Yahweh put me in this place to be able to help you so that you can go through what you need to go through. Because he is with his people. We, brethren, are at an intersection of human resilience and divine intervention. The divine promise that the city of Jerusalem will be spared from the Assyrian onslaught is what comes to view in this chapter. This prophecy is an assurance of safety. This is a prophecy and it resonates, as you can tell, deeply within me. That innate human longing, we all have it. That innate human longing, I want divine security. 
don't you? I want divine security. This world is, it is insecure. They're, they're ready to do a rug pull on us at any moment. You think I have hope in this world? No, my hope is in Yahweh, divine security. Look at the growth of the remnant you see. Look at the words, the planting of vineyards within the passage. It's hinted at. It's a promise of restoration after the storm. There's no guarantee that you won't go through a storm. In fact, Yahushua said we would go through a storm. It's called tribulations in this life. But there is a divine commitment to it, a divine commitment to breathe life into the desolate places of your life, a divine commitment to breathe life into the desolate places of my life. The Hebrew term branch, branch alludes to the messianic promise. It's a shoot. And that shoot is from the lineage of David. And the passage brings the immediate historical context of an enduring hope. And that enduring hope to Isaiah, it was a future redemption. But to us, it is the past that has been realized in Yahushua. Isn't that awesome? Truly magnificent. The letter Tav, it signifies a covenant. It depicts the divine pact ensuring Jerusalem's survival and ensuring your survival and my survival too. The letters unravel a heavenly promise inscribed into the very fabric of creation. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, as the King Jimmy would put it. But this is really Yahweh's Savot, and it's a passionate divine commitment to safeguard the sacred covenant. And we are the beneficiaries of that covenant. The translation, it brings to mind a vivid image of a zealous protector guarding her beloved city. A zealous protector guarding his beloved bride. The word remnant in the Hebrew, preserved as a seed for future flourishing. The prophet's words, they're here to remind us that amidst the challenges of life, divine promises are assured. And from the remnants of adversity, there will always be new growth. And there will always be a flourishing that emerges after the storm. Look at verse 37. So, Senchaviv, Melech of Ashur, king of Assyria, he departed. And he went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. Sometimes you get that breakthrough. Oftentimes, I should say, that breakthrough. And you can feel the oppression, the fear, the hopelessness just departs. And then it dies. And it came to pass as he was worshipping in the Bait of Nishrok, his Elohim, the Adram, Melech, and Sheredzer, his sons, they smote him with the sword. You see, the kings of this earth and the people that believe in the hopes of this world, they're like dogs that will devour one another. They eat their own. 
They turn on one another. And that's why it says in the Bible, don't worry about those that are judges and those over you and overseers, because there are overseers over those overseers, and those overseers will oversee those overseers. And eventually, it's going to come to the knowledge of one, and they will eat one another. It's called responsibility of accountability. And that's why we don't have to worry, because eventually it gets far enough up the chain that they will devour their own. We just stay the course and Yahweh will bring forth the miracle. Because look at verse 38. He gets devoured by his own household. They're devouring one another. When there's any threat coming, coming, they will literally turn on one another to try and preserve their strongholds. And then we find Isaiah, this hope, this blessed hope. And Isaiah witnesses the unfolding of a divine response to human supplication. King Hezekiah's prayer is steeped in humility. King Hezekiah's prayer is about trust and it elicits a profound answer from Yahweh. That's the message. The power of earnest prayer and humility before the Most High. Hezekiah's plea is not met with silence, but with an immediate and resounding answer. There's your hope. There's my hope. The destruction that was planned by the Assyrians is halted in its tracks. And it wasn't halted by human might, but by a divine intervention prompted by a heartfelt cry of Rachamin, give me mercy. It was a cry for mercy. See, the last two verses of our text, they unveil Yahweh's might. They unveil his sovereignty over earthly affairs. The angel of Yahweh strikes down the enemy forces. He affirms that the destinies of the nations, brethren, the destinies of these heathen, they rest in the hands of the Most High, even if they don't think they do. Oh, they do. The sudden and decisive nature of this divine intervention emphasizes the power and authority of the Most High over all aspects of this creation, even if they don't want to believe it, that's their problem. It's not yours, and it's certainly not mine. Leave them to depart the way they came. We need all this week to be encouraged in our own journeys of faith. There's always an assurance of divine protection, brethren. There's always an assurance for a divine, faithful prayer warrior. It's not just confined to these ancient times way back when, but it resonates throughout history today because it's within the chambers of heaven resonating right now for you to call down all of the prayers of all of the saints that are resonating within the chambers of heaven right now throughout history. So even when you don't feel that your prayers are being heard, 
Yahweh's hearing all of the saints' prayers. And you tap in to that resonating frequency within the kingdom of Yahweh. Chapter 37 calls us to trust in providence that responds, listen, providence responds to sincere prayers. And providence acknowledges the supreme authority of the saints' prayers. And the supreme authority of Yahuwah is what guides the course of human events. Shalom. And now I feel peace in the midst of crisis. Chapter 37 is an invitation for you and I to trust. Chapter 37 is an invitation for you and I to trust, even when we are faced with seemingly insurmountable challenges, turning to the divine with humility and sincerity can usher in transformative interventions that defy human logic and reason. Look what we just saw. Recognize the enduring relevance of faith. Recognize the enduring relevance of prayer. Recognize the always present divine intervention. Hezekiah stands as a testament, as a testament to the unwavering truth that when human efforts reach their limits, You've done everything that you can do. I've done everything that I can do. Then, when, then, Yahweh's outstretched hand is ready to guide. Then, when, then, Yahweh's outstretched arm is ready to protect. Then, when, then, Yahweh will bring forth the victory to your present circumstances. That's 37. That's what I've got for you. And I pray it's a blessing to you because it built my faith up this week. I feel so much stronger, so much more powerful in my prayers, even when they are weak, brethren. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. I'm going to jump back over here to the chat. See what you guys have to say in the chat. Now is the most appropriate time to give us some thumbs up. Now is the most appropriate time to look at the description down in below. And if you so desire to support the ministry, then please do. And remember, we are backing it up over there on Odyssey. So even if this world comes against us on this platform, we will have another opportunity to convey the word of hope and promise to a people living amidst the nations. This was an awesome chapter for me because I felt so inspired, not only in studying it, but teaching it to you today. Thank you, everybody, for being so faithful. Faithful to Torah to the tribes as a ministry. Faithful to me, in spite of my frailty and my defects, which you have seen, many, many times. But aren't we all a part of something greater than ourselves? The 12 tribes of Israel that are being gathered together in the days in which we live. Think about it. A people that returning to his Torah, returning to the ancient paths, that should inspire you. That should inspire your generations. 
and let the world do what the world chooses to do, they will return by the path they came. Whatever they bring, send them back and wait for the divine miracle. Shabbat Shalom to all of you and bless you and bless one another. And I will hopefully catch you live next Sabbath. Shalom.